Hello and welcome to the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. I'm your host, Nick McGowan, and on this show, my guests and I unpack the stories that shape us and the lives we lead on our path to self-mastery. Today on the show, we have Jody Testerman. Jody is a yoga teacher who lives with bipolar and helps women with bipolar disorder manage life with dignity and grace through yoga, mindfulness, and science. So let's not wait any longer. Let the games begin. Hello, Jody. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited that you're on the show with me today. Appreciate you. Uh, looks like you, you've got a nice warm cup of coffee. I hear that you've moved recently, so we're going to get into that a little bit. But thank you for being with us, Jody. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it, it's great to have you on here. Uh, everybody, to give you a little bit of background of Jody, uh, Jody and I have actually used to work together. We were kind of partners in crime, in a sense. Uh, started to build out a division of a company we were working for. Um, and had a lot of fun. And I was able to watch Jody as she worked through her personal growth and as she went through everything she was going through. Um, to give you a little bit of deeper background, Jody is a registered yoga teacher who also happens to live each day with bipolar disorder. So, again, I've been able to witness some of that, um, that coming to truth and her opening up about her life and the things that she's gone through. Um, and Jody, to kind of start this off, can you tell us um, one thing about you that you do for a living and something that most people just don't know about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've never really been a person that does just one thing for a living. So, you know, right now I am, I'm doing some work uh, for Ford's agency up in Detroit. Um, I'm also running my own marketing and sales consulting firm. Um, and I'm also a registered yoga teacher, as you said, and I work with, um, private students who also have bipolar disorder. Um, something that people don't know about me. Um, I actually used to co-host a TV show back in my twenties. Um, it was a motorcycle TV show. Yep. (laughs) So I was on TV for about three years. Wow. So where was, uh, where was that episode or where was the show at rather? Um, it was hosted on the CBS affiliate in Indianapolis. That is so cool. So I want to get into that a little bit. How did you get onto TV? Um, so this, uh, gosh, kind of fell in my lap. Honestly, I, at the time I was selling, um, advertising airtime for the network and, um, I sold a lot of airtime in this show and the co-host left and I saw the opportunity and I applied for it. <laughs> That's beautiful. Now you said that was in Indy, Indianapolis, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, and you're in Michigan. I am in Detroit now. Yes. Wow. So uh, <laughs> some context here, audience. Um, Jody and I work together in Tampa, Tampa, Florida. So that's currently where I live, um, outside of Tampa, Clearwater area. And before we started recording on the episode, we were kind of joking. She's got nice hot coffee. I've got cold brew. Because it's 80 degrees here, and I think it's 80 below there. So, Jody, <laughs> what is the temperature, and why are you in Detroit? Um, so, what is the temperature? Why am I in Detroit? So, it's, um, it's about 30 degrees here. We got like four inches of snow in a matter of an hour last night, which I haven't seen in about six years because I was in Tampa. Um, so, that was fun. I got to drive in snow. Um, but what brought me to Detroit? Um, so, I'm actually uh, going through a divorce at the moment. And I had an opportunity to come up here and actually do some contract work for one of the ad agencies that I studied in college. Um, it was 19 year old Jody's dream job. So 
I took the contract and I made the move. It all happened within about three weeks and it's been chaos, but really good. Um, I also have a really good support system up here. Um, tons of friends. Um, yeah, I'm absolutely loving Detroit. Uh, didn't expect that, um, but it's phenomenal. Great city. Well, it's interesting that you point out that everything's a little chaotic because for the years, and I think <laughs> I've known you five, six years or something like that at this point. Um, for the years that I've known you, you've never not been like not chaotic. Things have always been a little chaotic. So it feels to me like you've enjoyed some of that. But at the same time, uh, you know, the point to this podcast is to be able to break out the stories and unpack the stories that we've gone through in life that make us who we are right now. And I know you and I have had different conversations on business trips, over the phone, face to face with a couple drinks in hand, talking about things, getting into the real stuff about life. And I know some of the chaos um, was sort of a, a defense mechanism in some ways to be able to get away from other things. And I'm absolutely proud of you for the work that you've done to be able to step out um, in multiple ways. So I'm a little unsure of exactly how to go about starting this with you because there's a lot of different avenues that we can kind of get down. But Jody, let's let's start from the beginning. Uh, break down for us a little bit. Uh, what makes you you today? Where did you come from? Yeah, so I grew up in um, rural Indiana. Um, don't recommend it there. <laughs> <laughs> not not great for me. But you know, I have I have one brother. Um, you know, I'd say that I had a, a relatively normal childhood with the you know, lots of athletics and, and school activities and, you know, a, a relatively stable family, um, at least until I was in my preteen years, at which point, you know, my brother was in and out of jail constantly. I mean, I remember being, you know, 10, 11 years old and spending my weekends at jail visiting my brother. Um, but, you know, I played softball, I played volleyball, um, basketball, I ran track for a while swam for a couple years. Um, I've always been the type, as you alluded to earlier, that keeps myself incredibly busy. And I do think that that's a defense mechanism, which is something that I've, I've recognized, you know, throughout the treatment that I've been through the past few years since my diagnosis is that staying busy is a way to calm the mind. Right. And so I've, I've had that realization now, you know, when you look back on it, hindsight's always 2020. Um, but yeah, stay busy. You know, I've, I've rarely ever worked just one job. Um, I need lots of variety and lots of different interactions with people, um, to kind of, you know, fuel what's important to me. So how did you get to the point where you, uh, you'd felt like something was a little different, um, mm -hmm. uh, on multiple levels? Uh, I, I know you, you haven't yeah. lived the, you know, um, <laughs> find a, a high school sweetheart, get married, pop out two and a half kids. Half is always weird, but you know, uh, have a white picket fence, <laughs> two two. dog. So, yeah, that's it. Um, is that a little, little kid at that point, little person, uh, or whatever it would be? I don't know. So I, I know that path wasn't really the path that you went down, but that it was a little difficult for you to be able to step out and into your truth. Mm -hmm. So can you share what those truths are and uh, kind of what led yeah. you to those? For sure. So I, I will back up and say that I did marry my high school sweetheart, uh, oh. 21 years old. And that lasted for 14 months before I decided that he was incorrect for me. Um, he was also bipolar and refused to take his medication. So this was pre me figuring, you know, some of the, the same things out for myself. But I will say that for a very long time, I knew something was wrong. 
Um, I didn't know what it was. Um, I'd been in and out of therapy, fired, you know, multiple therapists for just not feeling like they really understood me. Right. I never went to see a psychiatrist because I fought the stigma of needing to take a pill every day for the rest of my life. Right. So when I got to the point where, um, you know, I was idolizing self-harm, which was about four years ago was when, and you know, I decided something's really wrong and, and we need to go seek help. Right. And it, it took my psychiatrist in that moment about five minutes to diagnose me. You know, I, I talked about my struggles at work, um, my struggles with relationships. Right. And so the pattern that I've always seen is that I, I will work circles around people. I will get frustrated at people for their speed. You've seen this, right. Mm -hmm. Get frustrated. I cause problems and then I have deep regret. Right. And so as a result of that, what you'll see from me is that since I graduated to college in 2006, I think I've had like 14 or 15 jobs, you know, like I, I'd have a meltdown at work and then I would be like, Oh my God, I can't go back and do this again. I have to go find a new job. Right. So that pattern has repeated itself and, and lots of other bipolar patterns, right? Like I, I rarely can hold together a relationship even still, right. Even, even with the the medication and the treatments and, and everything that I've done, um, social relationships are difficult. Um, I often, I find that I misinterpret situations I misinterpret the way, um, you know, the way comments are made. Um, I tend to take a lot of things very, very personally and I will retaliate. Right. And so a big part of my healing and treatment has been through the lens of yoga, right? Because the, the big thing that yoga has taught me is awareness, right? Because you can't, you can't make a change until you're aware of the behavior, right? If you don't know what's happening until it's too late, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Right. So I've spent, I got my 200 hour, you know, teacher training certification with no real intention of teaching, right? Like I was just fascinated by the philosophy, looking at how it can impact the mind. And after I got into, into it, I was like, Oh my goodness, I want, I want to teach other people what I've learned and, and how it's helped me. Um, and since then I've actually gotten into the scientific side of the bipolar mind and have started really marrying, um, you know, studies that talk about gray matter and the prefrontal cortex of the, of the bipolar brain with studies on mindfulness and meditation and how those two really work together. Um, so I, I teach that to my private students now about how, how these behaviors can impact your brain over time, because it's, it's truly fascinating. Absolutely. That is fascinating. It's interesting when you think about how the physical, mental, and the spiritual can all tie together. For the most part, I, I think a lot of people, and maybe you agree, I think a lot of people kind of separate those three. It's almost like their own personal holy trinity in a sense. Um, <laughs> your, your body is a temple. You've got to take care of it. I know that I put yep. it in my system at times. And there are things that uh, I'm probably, you know, I shouldn't. But at the same time, yeah. I also understand there's a balance in life, you know? So yep. how, do you, how do you find balance um, throughout your day, knowing that you're on a path toward greatness and you're working to, th- to do great things, you're still also a work in progress. So how do you balance yourself from going, uh, you know, kind of down a deep, dark path and feeling 
bad or just moving in a negative way, how do you balance life? It, it took me a while to find the right, I'll call it cocktail for lack of a better word. Um, when I started first working with my psychiatrist, um, you know, they suggested a mindfulness practice, journaling, you know, lots of things, reading, yoga, exercise, you know, there's, there's a million different things that you can do. And I, I, I will admit that when I first started all of this, it felt overwhelming, right? Like, how in the hell am I actually going to fit all of these things that I need to do to be okay into every day? Right. And so it, it took me a while to get there, but routine is something that's really important for people with bipolar disorder. So we will, you know, we make plans with friends, friends cancel, we lose our goddamn mind, right? Like, oh my God, what happened? Is it my fault? You know, why does everyone hate me? <laughs> and you can spiral that way, right? So I honestly had a lot of conversations with my friends early on too, right? I'm like, I need you to communicate with me. We need to talk about plans. I need to understand if plans are changing. You know, so I've been very open with those that are close to me and just saying, I, I need you to un understand the impact of your actions on me, right? So that was one big thing that that helped a lot. The second thing that I did is I, I went through, you know, the last 20 years of my life and I made some apologies. I reached out to people. I had conversations. I, I explained what was going on and I explained, you know, what was happening in my mind in those scenarios where I had hurt people. And that was honestly one of the most healing things that I could have done, right? Is, is address the things that I was still carrying guilt over 20 years later. Um, but aside from that, you know, my, my day to day, um, my morning starts the same every day. I get up, I brush teeth, I make a pot of coffee and I get on my yoga mat. Um, you know, depending on how much time I have, I have my cup of coffee on my mat. I do a five to 10 minute meditation. And then I do a just little gentle, you know, light morning flow, wake up the body, sink the breath to the movement, right? That's, it's very meditative. It, it teaches awareness, right? So it, it's one of the first things that I teach my students is mindful movement, right? Because mindful movement ultimately translates to awareness off your yoga mat. So my morning routine, coffee on my mat, meditation, a little bit of yoga, and then I read. Um, my goal is 10 pages a day. I, I don't say that I sit down and read a whole book every day, but I, I'm very into science education and, and making sure that I'm kind of staying up with, with what's going on. So, you know, all of those things used to be overwhelming, right? It's like, oh my goodness, I have to do these four things every morning. But now I do it all in 45 minutes or less. You know, it's it's not a big chunk of the day. I make sure that I'm up and that I start my day right. And that that routine is really important to me. Um, I then start my work day, usually about, I don't know, 7, 7.30. Um, I make sure I eat. That's another thing that we forget to do. Um, bipolar people just don't remember to eat. And so when I, when I first started getting myself into this cadence and into this routine, I was setting alarms, right? Like, go eat a snack. <laughs> Put something in your body, right? Yeah. Because blood sugar is another thing that can send you into mania, right? And so if your blood sugar spikes and then drops, um, it can kind of send you off the deep end. Um, I make sure I exercise every day. Um, you know this, but I'm I'm big into CrossFit. I actually spent a couple of years competing, um, but exercise is endorphins, right? And endorphins are good for your brain. So. I make sure that I get, you know, at least 30 minutes of, I will say vigorous exercise in every day. Right. Which is theoretically another form of meditation, right? It is your mind is doing one thing at a time, which is, which is how we think about meditation, right? You're not, 
you're not doing anything else. You're focusing on one thing. Um, and then I make sure I sleep, um, which is something, um, you know, when I first got diagnosed was one of my number one symptoms. And, and you, you know, this, I, I would go weeks on end with one or two hours of sleep a night and still run circles <laughs> and then be upset that around. people weren't able to, you know, pick up the speed with Correct. you. Correct. Were you there the day I threw the laptop at a coworker? Yes. That was one of my finest moments. That was beautiful. <laughs> it was like playing jazz. <laughs> yeah. So, you Those know, I think you get that. You're welcome. <laughs> right. <laughs> so then I, um, I don't make journaling as much as a priority as I used to. Um, you know, when I was first diagnosed, some of the reflective properties of journaling were really important for me, right? How I use journaling now is different than how I used it um, when I was first diagnosed. Um, I actually write a lot of poetry now. And so it's it's a really good release for me to get my thoughts out in a way that rhyme or make sense that is, you know, somewhat artistic. And so I, I do that now. I'm actually considering publishing some of them, which I'm excited about. Um, but, you know, so recap. <laughs> Coffee. <laughs> Meditation. <laughs> Wait, you said brushing your teeth first. So feet yeah. on floor, out of bed, teeth, coffee, <laughs> mat. Is that where we're at? Yep, exactly. Good. And then book. Right. And then, and then work. And I, I will often step away from my desk. You know, now that, now that we live in this remote world and I'm not, going to an office every day, I'll often get back on my mat at lunchtime, right? Just like kind of recenter for the day. Um, when I end my day, I go to the gym. Um, I used to be a morning workout person, as you know, but now that I live in the great white North where it's absolutely freezing, getting myself outside at, you know, five 30 in the morning is just not, just not happening. So I become an evening workout person, um, which was an adjustment, right? It, um, it increases your, endorphins and serotonin late in the day, which made it harder for me to sleep initially. Um, but I've adjusted to that routine now and I, I try to replicate it, right? Like every day. It sounds like a couple of the major things here are habits and adjustments. Mm -hmm. uh, something that I really like to get into. And I know that you, you understand this because we've had many conversations is I'm not afraid to call bullshit or get into something <laughs> deep. Um, and I think there are there are different people, clients of mine, maybe clients of yours and people that we know uh, that either are friends or family or what have you that ha they really struggle with that gray area of going, I want to do something, but then doing the act of doing it and getting into the habit of that, where basically right. what you just said was you have about an hour, 15, maybe an hour and a half of stuff that you need to do every day. You'd also mentioned that the beginning of that you would have thought this is going to be crazy. This is going to take me so long. I don't have any time to do any of this stuff. And that's a real thing that everybody thinks about. Yeah. I don't care if you have zero kids, if you got 40 kids, if you run a <laughs> ginormous company where you don't do a damn thing at all. Everybody has that same BS excuse of, I just don't have time to do it. You got to be aware of it. So it makes me think of how do people get into that spot where they're able to actually set a habit and hold themselves accountable? And that's the sort of stuff I want to get into with you right now. You know, you, you took some time to be able to kind of work through that. You had some people that you talked to, friends, psychiatrists, et cetera. But what tips can you give the audience to be able to actually help set up that, um, that habit and have grace with themselves for the times that they don't do it? Yep. Um, 
I think that's a really good question. And I, I honestly think that everyone's different, right? So some people are in a place where they can bite off more than others and be okay with it. Um, you know, science tells us that it takes uh, 21 days to form a new habit, right? So when, I, when I'm working with people, I suggest one thing at a time, right? Like for the next 21 days, let's make sure we exercise every day. Or for the next 21 days, let's make sure we meditate every day, five minutes a day, not asking for a ton, right? Do it at the same time, make it a habit, right? Mm -hmm. Force yourself to do it. And there has to be, there has to be some will there. You, you have to want to do it, right? And if you don't want to do it, you won't. If you don't want to make the change, you won't, right? So there has to be this level of commitment to yourself, right? You have to want to change. You have to want to get better, but I generally recommend that people are kind of almost like waterfalling these things into their life, right? So we're going to start with one thing. And then in two weeks, we're going to add another five or 10 minutes of something, right? And I say five or 10 minutes initially, because there's so many things you can be doing, right? Like those are just the things that I do. Like some people like painting and gardening and, you know, whatever it is for you. If you start out small, you're going to know what works for you quicker, right? You don't need to dive in and be like, I'm going to build a rooftop garden and this is the only thing I'm going to do. And then like, you know, you go spend $2,000 on your garden and then in two weeks, you're like, I hate this, <laughs> right? So, so if you roll it in slowly, you're able to kind of tell what works for you, what calms your mind. Ultimately, that's what it's about, right? Is, is what is the activity for you that calms your mind? For me, I need multiple. Not everyone does. There are different things that touch different uh, spots in your body, in a sense. You know, meditating Absolutely. does a certain thing. Journaling does yep. a certain thing. Uh, exercising does a certain thing. I know there are some people that exactly. literally get up out of bed and just instantly start working out. Uh, yep, that used I, I to be of, me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know you'd get up and you'd just run out to CrossFit and you'd be doing your thing. Um, I think of Tony Robbins where I think he actually gets up, runs out to like icy water in the morning and just instantly jumps in the water. That's a thing that'll wake you up. Uh, that'll wake you up. <laughs> getting into that habit is super important, you know, uh, and yeah, absolutely. I, I have different conversations with people at times where they give me excuses about the habit to be able to set yep. up the habit. And I think you nailed it. You got to want it. You don't want it. You're not going to do it. So let's actually. Take a, take kind of a little detour and talk about that. Talk about the the will and the mind management to be able to kind of get yourself through those days. I've had conversations with very close friends that they've told me that when they have rough days, they just they say, "Look, today's just not the day," and they move along. And that's the thing for them that they're able to shut it down. Others are uh, they're a little bit more. Um, intuitive with how they go about the day, but how do you kind of move throughout your day? And again, this goes back to balance. Um, I'm, I'm going to jump a little bit from that because I, I think one of the things that's important to recognize, at least with the, the bipolar mind is that medication kind of bookends your highs and lows, right? So they're going to make your highs less high. They're going to make your lows, less lows, less lows. Come on, Jody, <laughs> less low. Um, but there's this whole kind of world in the middle that you have to navigate, right? So you're, you're still going to have these moments of up and working circles around people. And you're going to have these moments of low and depressed, right? The thing that I tell people a lot, and you've heard me say this is lean in, Right. If you feel depressed and you need to spend a day in bed, do that. 
but don't let it turn into two weeks, right? Give yourself a time frame, right? So it, it's almost like making contracts and agreements with yourself to say, you know, I know I'm going to go through this. And when this happens, I'm going to allow myself to sleep for 12 hours. And then I'm going to set an alarm. And then I'm going to be five, four, three, two, one feet on the floor. I'm going to go jump in the damn icy water. Right. And there's That's that level of though. awareness, accountability, agreements with yourself. Right. It's, it's holding yourself accountable to your own healing. Right. And I think that that is one of the hardest things in working with the bipolar segment, right. Is that there's, there's so much up and down and there's, there's honestly a lot of excuse making if I'm honest, right. Like I live with it. I get it. I I understand it. And I made excuses for a very long time. I didn't see a doctor for 16 years. (laughs) Right. So I get it. Um, but I, I see it every day now. And the women that I work with have just, I don't have time for this or I can't get out of bed or I'm mad and I cut all my hair off. You know, it just, there, there's endless and endless excuses. And, you know, one of the things that I, I recommend and I work with my students on uh, day one, what are your goals? What do you want to do? Let's write them down and let's put them in front of you. And you're going to wake up to that every day. You're going to see that every day. And that, and that's one way to hold yourself accountable to to what you want, right? It's real easy to say you want it today and then tomorrow wake up and be like, oh, my priorities have changed, right? And it's like, well, have they? Have they or are you popping out on yourself? <laughs> I don't remember what your question was. I don't feel like I answered it. <laughs> uh, you, you did, you, yeah, in certain ways. Um, I think when, when we look at how people need to hold themselves accountable, uh, we as people can uh, can let ourselves down easily. Now I do it. I'm sure you do it. Everybody does mm-hmm. it. You know, there are things yep. that you go, I'm going to do this thing, and then you don't, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, it's yep. fine. I wasn't, you know, I didn't really need to, or what have you. But if something's yeah. life and death, most of the responsible adults in the world are going to do something about it. They'll typically wait until they need to. You know, I think back to grade school, high school, people that go to college that you know. They do whatever they're going to do the night before they need to uh, submit that paper or whatever it's going to be. But that's the that's the tough point that a lot of people really struggle with is going from that. I think that I have a problem. I don't want to do something about it because I'm afraid of what potential answer is. So how did you get through that and get yourself to the point and really help the audience to have some of those little tips and tricks of going to see if they're okay? You know, it's not, it's not a bad thing, Mm -hmm. but how did you get yourself to the point of saying, I need to go do this? Uh, I think the first thing for me was accepting my diagnosis, right? So it's, it's honestly one thing that a lot of people fight because it's another label, right? And our society is so, so, so label heavy, right? And, and when you get that diagnosis, I I mean, I can tell you that my mind immediately jumped back to the movie Sybil, right? And I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to be like that, (laughs) right? Like, that Sally food field movie was absolutely terrifying in the, in the way that her brain worked. And for me, um, accepting my diagnosis took lots of writing, right? I had, I had to force the thoughts out of my brain, right. Of like, let, let's recount your last 20 years, Jody. What's the dumb shit that you've done. Right. And it took me about three days. It was, it honestly wasn't very long, right. It takes some people a lot longer to accept the diagnosis. Um, it took me about three days of writing, almost writing constantly, right? Like I took a few days off work and I just was sitting on my mat and I was writing and I came to the realization, like I wound up laughing, 
right? Like I, I wound up in this place of, oh shit, that's right. That makes some sense, you know? And, and I think that you have to accept it and then you have to want to change, right? Like I, I'm an incredibly driven person. I want to be successful. Um, I use my mania to my benefit, but not everyone's like that, right? So it, it took that level of acceptance for me to be able to move into, okay, how do I manage this? You'd mentioned that it took 16 years for you to go see a doctor. Uh, and that's why I'm kind of breaking that down a little bit to help anybody that's out there that's listening to this podcast um, to save that time. You, know, you went through the 16 years of the ups and the downs and the different battles. Uh, what sort of things, it sounds like mind dumping is something that would be helpful, but what sort of things would you suggest to that person that's kind of on that cusp of, I don't know if there's something that I should get checked out or not. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there, there's some pretty, pretty common symptoms with bipolar and, and there, there are actually a few levels of bipolar, right? So there's bipolar one, which often comes, you know, with, with schizophrenia and it's, it's more full blown mania, right? And those, those manic attacks can last for weeks on end. There's then bipolar two, which is characterized by having bigger bouts of depression, right? So I am on the bipolar two spectrum and it just, it's a wild fucking ride, man. (laughs) I, you know, the the things you want to look for, not sleeping, mind racing, um, being able to accomplish, you know, more tasks than anyone. Um, there's hypersexuality, um, there's inability to maintain long-term relationships. There's inability to keep a job. Um, I, I read a statistic recently that said like people miss like 45 days of work a year or something like that due, due to bipolar disorder. Right. And so I then dove into that. I'm like, well, what's the financial impact of that? Right. Mm -hmm. Like oftentimes people, um, so it, it can kind of go both ways, at least from the research that I've done, right? And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend to be a, an expert here on this, but you know, there's there's the people that are highly driven that want to be successful and they use their bipolar to their favor. There's then this other group of people that use their bipolar as an excuse, right? They they want the disability check, they they want to not go to work, or they truly believe that they can't, right? And I, I think that that's where that mindset differs for me, right? As I'm saying, okay, I have this thing. I'm not this thing. I'm not going to let this define me. I'm going to figure out how to make it work. But I think that that comes, you know, from an internal drive. And, you know, we talked a little bit about childhood. Um, I was a very, very competitive athlete. I played, you know, division one softball and, and that experience really taught me about time management and, the ability to multitask and the, the ability to work hard and to play hard and to want to be successful. Right. I think like 1% of the population makes it to be a division one athlete, right? Like that doesn't come without some level of self-awareness and dedication and, and willing to commit to something. Right. So I'm not saying that everyone's born and bred that way, but I do think that some of those things can be learned. The athlete in you, probably helped a lot more than you understand because of that team mentality, everything you went through, Mm -hmm. kind of going through that, uh, playing travel ball and stuff as you grew up. Uh, And that's kind of also a testament, I'm sure, to your parents, too, because it's not like you hopped on the bus and just went along and didn't do anything. I'm sure they supported in some certain ways. Um, And being able to break down your 20 years of experience and your past and going through all of that. That's crucial. You know, we all go through trials and different tribulations and things of that sort. But are there any major 
episodes or things that happened throughout life that you can really tie back to and go, this was a moment in time that changed me. Moment in time that changed me. Um, hmm, yeah. So there was a night, um, this was shortly after my diagnosis. And, um, so when they, when you first get started on bipolar medication, they, they titrate you up to your dose. Right. And, and there's often this period of not knowing which specific medication is going to work for you. Right. So it's this like cocktail of crazy. Right. And it's just like, Oh my God, I feel awful. I don't know what's going on. And there was an evening where I was just at a friend's house having dinner and we got in this somehow heated debate about like type two diabetes, which is not important to anyone. Right. But to back up to the last question, that's one of the things that I used to do is I would hold on to something small. If it didn't, if I didn't agree with it and I would make this just mountain out of it. Right. Like this is a big deal and I need to win this argument or whatever. Right. Which silly. So anyway, that happened that night and, um, I got just like pulse racing, crazy heart sweat. And I stormed out of my friend's house and I threw myself into the street and a friend came and peeled me out of the street as traffic was coming. Right. And so that was one of those moments where it was just like, whew, that was scary. Right. And, and I really had no awareness of it in, in the time that it was happening. And I'm very, very thankful for that friend this day. Like I don't, so, you know, when you, when you go through, um, they call them mixed episodes, right. And it's where you are manic, but depressed at the same time. And honestly, those are some of the most terrifying experiences that I've had because you were not aware of what you're doing. Right. And I, I think the one thing that that's taught me is emotions are fleeting, right? They, they come and go, they are not permanent. And it takes a level of awareness to not make permanent decisions based on temporary circumstances. Beautiful. <laughs> and that's a quote and a half right there. <laughs> I, I don't mean to interject. Yeah. That's a beautiful no, no, thing. No, no, no. I think that's it, you know, but I mean, I was going through other, other things in my life at the time and I would get upset and I would storm out of the house. I wouldn't take my phone. I wouldn't even wear shoes sometimes. And I would just be wandering around. Right. And you know, then you, you kind of, you snap out of it, right? Like it's almost like being like blackout drunk is kind of like the best way that I can describe it is like you're functioning and you're doing things and you're mobile, but you have no idea what you're doing. Right. And I'm just like, Oh my good God, I'm not like, I'm on my way to being the crazy lady wandering around in her nightgown in the streets in the middle of the night. Right. And that's not the person that I want to be. That's not the <laughs> goal in life. Um, yeah. It was not my goal. Right. <laughs> not my goal at all. And the, the good thing is that it can be managed. Right. And so, you know, I know a lot of people are medication adverse and I'm not one of those people. Um, I understand why people are metaverse. Um, you go through a period when you first start taking medication of almost feeling numb. Um, I can tell you that that goes away, uh, because it, it dulls your emotion, right? It makes you feel less high, it makes you feel less low. And that's something that's uncomfortable because you're not used to it. Right. And so I will say it took me probably six months 
to kind of titrate up to the full dose of medication that I needed to get the right medication. I mean, I think they gave me seven different sleeping pills before they found the one that worked. And in all reality, the one that works for me is like basically like an over-the-counter Benadryl. And it's weird, right? Like why, why doesn't the Ambien work? But, but this one does, right? So everyone's brain chemistry is different. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad I went to the doctor. I'm a big proponent of medication, but I do understand that it doesn't stop with medication. And would you say that's what has led you to tying the physical and the scientific together? I got really interested. So th there's a couple things to unpack there. So one of the things that I wanted to understand, and, and this is, you know, part of, you know, my marketing plan for the students that I'm working with was that I wanted to understand the financial impact, both direct and indirect, right, of, of living with unmanaged bipolar disorder. Like, what does this look like, right? Like, what are, what are your lost wages? How much are you spending on, you know, uh, being admitted for a manic episode? And, and the costs are exorbitant, right? you know, the, the suicide rates are incredibly high among bipolar people. Like there's a ton of cost associated with it. So I kind of started my research there, right. As I was saying, okay, like what's going on out there. <laughs> and then I quickly kind of pivoted to wanting to understand the unique brain. Right. And it's difficult. There's not a lot of studies out there. Um, a lot of people are either misdiagnosed with anxiety, misdiagnosed with depression, um, ADD is a, is a big player in it too, which I also have. Um, but because of that, it's very hard to study the impact of meditation and mindfulness on one specific brain type. Right. So I just like digging, 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 like what's in there, what's in there, what's in there. And I finally landed on tons of studies about, so gray matter, um, in the prefrontal cortex of the brain, I don't want to go too sciencey on you, but it's basically responsible for your emotional regulation and control, right? And so the bipolar brain has less gray matter than the normal brain, right? So then I said, okay, well, what's the impact of meditation on the gray matter in the brain, right? Oh, it restores it. That's cool. How long mm. does it take to restore it? right? The truth is it's, it's different in everyone, but that's the path I've really went down is wanting to not. So I will say that I'm absolutely a hippie dippy yoga person. Like, you know, that I'm going to wear patchouli and tons of patterns and look crazy all the time. But the science piece of it was really important to me, you know, especially as I'm, I'm starting to work with, you know, mental health facilities on coaching and, and some of these things, understanding the scientific aspect of it was really important to me. And I, I fell in love with it. I'm like, this is cool stuff. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> even just to think about meditation or mm -hmm. anything at all that can regrow gray matter. I think a lot of people don't understand <laughs> that your body and your spirit can change yeah. uh, everything. It's a matter yeah. of you putting it in order to be able to do it. I think of almost like a video game. I think I've said yep. this to you before. It's like uh, the old Zelda games. Like sometimes you, you try to race through a level and you figure out like, ah, damn it. I missed that damn key. And you got to go back and get the key <laughs> and you come back and then you're able to go through and move along. You still got to right. go through those steps and those things to be able to get there. So, Jody, I appreciate you unpacking everything you've unpacked. Um, and I appreciate you sharing what you've gone through. Yeah. It sounds like habits 
uh, routine and discipline are major things mm-hmm. that you go through. Um, your journaling, your meditating, and your yoga-ing <laughs> are main, uh, main things that you focus on each and every day. But is there anything else or anything that you want to get a little deeper with for the audience to, uh, to help them? I, I don't recommend meditating in a depressive state. Um, it, it cannot be great for, you know, your psyche. Um, and it can kind of throw you into, into further depression, right? If you start analyzing your thoughts when you're already depressed, it's not great. Right. So when, when people are depressive, it's the exercise, right? Let's, let's boost endorphins. Let's get the serotonin rolling in the brain and then let's step into our meditation. Right. So it's all about, you know, if I have one piece of advice for anyone dealing with this, it's about finding what works for you, right? Committing to yourself and finding what works for you. There's a million things that you can do, but no two people are the same, right? And so figuring out that prescription for you, prescription, haha, uh-huh. play on words there. Um, but I'm not actually talking about medication here, right? Like I'm, I'm talking about your day-to-day habits and your day-to-day life. You know, I think, I think everyone should be exercising no matter what right? Like that is rule number one, 30 minutes of exercise a day. Hours better if you have time for an hour, right? But aside from that, you know, the, the mental work, paint a picture, color in a book, you know, journal, like find what works for you. So that's generally what I tell people. <laughs> yeah. I know something we both agree on that we preach in a sense to all of our clients is awareness. You've got to be aware first. If you are not aware, how the heck can you do anything about something you're totally unaware of. So how would you suggest people go about becoming aware? Such a good question. Um, And I forgot to even say this earlier. So one of the things that um, everyone should do is track their moods, right? So simple. It doesn't have to be ridiculous. Understanding your cycle and how often you flip real important, right? Like I can tell you right now that I'm going to be on a 10 day up cycle and a four day down cycle but it took me six months of tracking. And it was as simple as I had a calendar and every day I would put an up arrow, a down arrow, or just a dash neutral. Right. And that really helped me understand what my brain was doing. And it was very cyclical, right? Very. And most people I have found are very cyclical in that way. Right. So that's one really great way to be aware of what's happening chemically in your brain. Um, the second thing that I really preach is mindful movement. Um, so when you start to marry your movement to your breath, right. And I'm even talking simple things like inhale, raise your arms, exhale, lower your arms. Like it doesn't have to be complicated. Right. But what you're doing there is you're training your brain to do one thing and to be aware of what your body is doing. Right. And so over time you become more aware of other things right? Like I'll notice when my foot starts going like this, that I need to take a break, right? You've seen my foot do it. You've seen me sit in your office and be like, I need to be upside down right now. (laughs) And then I'm doing handstands in your office, right? So um, those two things were really clutch for me. So, you know, tracking your mood up or down and then really marrying your mind and body, right? We're all all working together here. (laughs) We're going to do the same thing. (laughs) Man, that's good stuff. the the awareness and the discipline to become aware mm-hmm. uh, really starts with the yeah. habits and your habits yep, can absolutely. change every single day. Uh, it's up to you to be able to actually sit 
down and do something. So I think one of the major takeaways is uh, to spend five, maybe 10 minutes a day doing something. So as we record this episode, we're just a couple days away from um, New Year's Eve. And I know a lot of people will put together resolutions. I also know a lot of people that think it's actual dog shit to put resolutions together. Different people in different camps, and that's totally fine. I don't think it's really a matter of a resolution or not. It's a matter of uh, a habit change and being disciplined. So my challenge uh, to the audience and everybody that's listening is to be able to pick something that you feel with your gut that could actually be a benefit to you. Is it meditating? Has it come to you a couple times? Has somebody said something to you a couple times? Or is it journaling that really stands out to you? If one of those things stands out, please spend a couple minutes to be able to do it. Jody, would you have something to add to that? Um, no, I was just I was gonna comment on the, the New Year's resolution thing. I I'm not a big fan of only setting goals for yourself one time a year. Right. So when I think about my goals and, and this is something that I didn't really touch on, but every every morning I set three intentions for my day, right? What do I want to accomplish for myself? What do I want to accomplish for work? And what's my forward thinking thought? Right. And I, I write those down every morning as, you know, the, this is what I'm doing today. This is what's important for me. What's important for my job. And this is what's important for Jody tomorrow. So I set that intention. Um, and I do it daily. Right. I will say that I reset, um, <clears throat> goals, mood boards, um, you know, vision quarterly, right? Like I'm going through, I have, I have these little cork boards that I use and I, I go all sorts of like, you know, sixth grade, poster project on these cutting stuff out of magazines and, and putting it visually, right? Like right above me, this is, these are my goals. This is what I'm chasing. And then at the end of the quarter, I kind of go through those things. I rip off the board, what I've accomplished. I leave the things that I haven't, I add to it. Um, but I think that those visual reminders of where you want to be are so important. At least they are for me. Do you think that's a major benefit to uh, your success with managing your bipolar? Yeah, I do. I do. Because it's real easy. <laughs> so we are absolutely known for starting 5 million things and finishing nothing. Um, a lot of bipolar people also have ADD, which you've seen from me. Um, so it's real easy to get distracted, right? And so it, it fuels that level of stay on track for me, right? Like you don't need to take your business in 5 million directions. You need to focus on this one at least for this quarter, right? And then let's evaluate, let's see where we are. And then let's see if we need to pivot before we do 9 million, you know, spider brains. Beware <laughs> of the spider brains, people. <laughs> <laughs> I think with that, we might wrap it up. Uh, spider brains <laughs> might be the, uh, the episode name here. Um, Jody, again, I appreciate I your time. <laughs> appreciate you being on. It's always great to see you. Yeah. I'm glad that you're doing well. Uh, and Thank, Thank you, you so much for sharing your story. Uh, please tell us where, uh, where we can find you, where people can connect with you, and how we can stay in touch. Yeah, so I, um, I have a website out there. Uh, it's called yogaforlivingwithbipolar.com. Um, it has more info on my story. It has videos. It has free yoga videos You know, for anybody that wants to give yoga a shot. Um, I also do private coaching. Um, so there's, there's lots of info out there on me, on my story. Um, I really unpack all of it on my website, trials, tribulations, everything that I've done, you know, in a, in a way that if 
it's like you said earlier, if I can connect with one person and change their life, that's, that's why I'm here. Right. Like it's truly been a life-changing game for me to study philosophy from the yoga perspective as it relates to the bipolar brain. So I publish that stuff a lot. Um, I keep it up to date. Um, but yeah, that's where I would go. It's awesome. Thank you so much, Jody. We appreciate you being on. Thank you. Another great conversation on today's episode of the Mindset and Self-Mastery Show. I think the moral of the story from our conversation is that you can control your story, but you got to want it and you got to start incrementally. But that's just my two cents. How about you? What did you think? I'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode today. And if you enjoyed the episode, please jump over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a five-star review. It's very much appreciated. And if you really enjoyed the show today, go ahead and share it with your friends. We covered a pretty tough subject and got some great tips that really work for all of us. You can find links to connect with Jody in the show notes and hear other episodes on themindsetandselfmasteryshow.com. Again, it's themindsetandselfmasteryshow.com. Thank you again, Jody, for being on the show and for being honest, raw, and real with us. And thank you to you. Yes, you for hanging out with us today. Thank you. This episode of the Mindset and Self Mastery Show is brought to you by Spider Brains, the leading cause of arachnophobia. Maybe. I don't know. But this episode was actually brought to you by figuring out the correct settings for all tech involved in the recording and the foresight to see this through. Thanks, past me. You done good, kid. And with that, thank you. And remember, your mindset matters. And so do you. (laughs) 